Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Just a heads up, this episode contains references to suicidal ideation. So please take care. In the last four months, roughly 500 anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced across the United States. The bills range from barring trans kids, especially trans girls, from playing sports in their gender category, to banning LGBTQ books and drag in public spaces. And one of the latest waves of attacks is focused on banning gender-affirming healthcare for children and teens. Gender-affirming care is life-saving healthcare. That includes a wide range of treatments, from counseling to medical interventions like puberty blockers, hormones, and in very rare cases for minors, surgery. Fifteen states have already passed a version of these bills, inspiring copycat bills and escalations across the country. Thirteen of these bills were passed this year, making 2023 another cruel and record-breaking year of trans hate. This week, a whole new slate of anti-trans bills passed in states across the country. Roughly 100 specifically restrict doctors and other providers from offering transition-related health care for minors. Last week, national publication Mother Jones released an investigation into a secret group of lawmakers and anti-transgender organizations that were working on bills across the country. What we're doing is creating political refugees in the United States, where the parents of trans kids all across the country have to determine where and how they can flee in order to protect their children. To deny them the help that their parents and their doctors, and most importantly, they themselves say they need, that is inhumane and cruel. We're here and we exist, and my child deserves to have every right and health and happiness as any other kiddo. I'm Anya Zolajowski, and I'm a senior reporter with Vice News. And I'm Ahiel Zimras, and this is Vice News Reports. Anya, hi. Welcome to Vice News Reports. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here for the first time. I know. It's so great that you're finally here. We've been trying to get you on the show basically forever now. I just wish it was under different circumstances. Basically, every day you are writing about new bills and laws that are attempting to take rights away from LGBTQ folk, especially trans folk, people like me. Yeah. I mean, it's been a record-breaking year again, the fourth consecutive year, broken records in terms of just the sheer magnitude of anti-trans bills that have been introduced in state legislatures. Right now, uh, there are close to 500 anti-trans state bills introduced just for this legislative session alone. And they target a range of things. You know, they ban books that deal with LGBTQ plus themes. They ban drag shows or at least attempt to. They make it impossible for trans people to participate in sports teams that correspond with their gender identity. And one of the biggest onslaughts of these bills includes a wave of anti-trans bills that ban trans health care for minors. 
We're seeing at least 30 states that are considering or have already passed trans healthcare bans for minors. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tremendous amount of attempts to remove the ability of trans youth to get gender-affirming care. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about, right? Because what's being banned is medically necessary and also incredibly safe healthcare that has been around for a really long time. That's such an important point to bring up because the scientific community has endorsed gender-affirming care. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the list goes on. And we also have so many studies backing this, that gender-affirming care is not only safe, but it is saving lives. Trans adults who are affirmed in adolescence report significantly better mental health outcomes trans youth who are allowed to pursue gender-affirming care and who are affirmed by people around them have a 73% reduced risk of suicidality. Right, and that's what we mean when we say that this kind of healthcare saves lives. So, of all the healthcare bills that have been introduced already, how many have been signed into law? As of now, 15 have been passed, and that includes in states like South Dakota, Florida, Alabama, And recently, Idaho. And more are being introduced at an alarming rate. So it's honestly really hard to keep track. And just to be clear, within the next year, all of these bills go into effect in many of these states. You will not be able to access puberty blockers, hormones, or surgery for the purpose of transitioning if you're a minor. Right. So kids and their supportive families are getting screwed left and right. But big picture here. What exactly is the deal with all these bans? Are they all the same? What does someone like you, Anya, somebody who writes about this stuff all the time, like what do you notice when you look at them in aggregate? I've noticed one of the differences across these bills are the different tactics that states are taking to block this care. So for instance, every state has some sort of penalty written in, but some are more extreme than others. In a major development, Alabama has become the first state in the nation to make it a felony to provide gender-affirming medical care to trans youth. Some states, doctors who provide gender-affirming care could be sued for damages or lose their licenses. Some bills go even further. Doctors and others who are found in violation of the law could face up to 10 years in prison. They threaten to impose criminal charges and jail time. Last year, Texas was the first state to try to equate gender-affirming care with child abuse. And it wasn't even done through a bill. It was done through an executive order. And at the time, it actually felt like, holy shit, this is so outlandish. This is so extreme. I can't believe they're doing this. And now it's just happening all the time, everywhere. Totally. And now multiple states have introduced some sort of bill that would equate gender-affirming care to abuse. And that could mean taking trans kids out of affirming homes and putting them into non-affirming foster care. Now lawmakers are working to ban this care for everyone under 21 statewide. What's also concerning is some of these states are starting to include gender-affirming care bans that would actually ban healthcare for adults. If this were to become law and pass as is, those in violation could face a fine of up to $100,000, 10 years behind bars, or both. A lot of the anti-trans argument usually hinges on this idea that we're protecting kids, but bans for adults would restrict care for individuals who are over the age of 18. Right. 
I mean, at this point, it's like you can carry a gun, but you can't get gender-affirming care. Another tactic that's been quite interesting to see is how states are starting to block public funding. The effect of that is that any individual that has healthcare coverage from federal funds like Medicaid and Medicare, they won't be able to access trans healthcare. That also means that'll affect adults as well. And it impacts any clinic, pharmacy, or doctor if they receive any government funding or disbursements. Earlier this week, Governor Kristi Noem signed a bill into law that would prohibit certain kinds of care for transgender children. And then finally, a recent escalation in all of these bills I've been tracking is states that are adding detransition clauses. South Dakota passed one of the most severe gender-affirming care bans that I've seen, and it actually maps out how doctors are effectively forced to detransition youth in the state by the end of the year. I feel like I'm living almost in some sort of weird like twilight zone right now. The last few months have been really difficult seeing all of the legislation that's been brought forth, not only in South Dakota, but just throughout the country as well. I was reporting a couple of weeks ago about the gender affirming care ban, and I've since managed to talk to people on the ground, you know, families with trans kids, trans youth themselves who've grown up in the state. So this is my respect trans kids shirt. Um, So Elizabeth is a mom who I called right after the bill passed. Um, I moved here when I was four years old, pretty much consider myself raised in South Dakota. And she has a 13-year-old son named Asher. He loves skateboarding, his drawing all the time. A lot of attitude, doesn't ever want to empty the dishwasher. (laughs) He was student of the month for January at his middle school. He loves punk rock music, Blink-182, Foo Fighters. He's a great kid and he just happens to be trans. Elizabeth was telling me that when Asher first came out, She put the mom hat on and was like, I need to protect and support my kids. So they went straight to the family doctor. And we had that appointment and it was okay. Here's the deal. We've gone through this questionnaire. Asher definitely does have gender dysphoria. He'll need to see a therapist and his therapist will also need to do the questionnaire and interview and several therapy sessions before we'll even consider any sort of medical intervention. He finally was given a prescription for the puberty blockers in May of 2022. And it was through like a year-long process of seeing medical professionals that finally it was decided that Lupron, a puberty blocker, would be an appropriate and safe medical intervention. Lupron's also prescribed to cis kids, usually to treat premature puberty. Protecting my child, it's, I need to do right by what his healthcare professional is telling me and is advising me and discussing with me. That's protecting my child. And Elizabeth reiterated that this medicine is essential for her child's well-being. The biggest thing is it has just been such a huge mental and emotional relief for him. He can go to school and not have to worry about his body growing into a body that he doesn't belong in. I mean, quite frankly, my son is still here today. There were many conversations of, I would rather be dead than continue to live like this. And I know people are really uncomfortable with (laughs) that thought and that conversation, but it is a reality for so many families of 
transgender children. And so she actually, you know, having all of these experiences and the knowledge that comes from them, she spoke against the gender affirming care ban in the state in front of lawmakers while they were still, you know, considering this bill and whether to pass it or whether to ban it. At this point, I really, really have to advocate for my child, for my son. I need to be able to say that I've done everything for him that I could. But then, on February 13th, the governor of South Dakota signed the bill into law. So what you're saying is that this new law that has now passed in South Dakota, it basically means that Elizabeth's son, Asher, will need to be taken off his puberty blockers, which will then force him to undergo the puberty that his doctors and parents agreed should be prevented. And that amounts to being forcibly detransitioned. Exactly. If they stay in South Dakota starting July 1st, she will not be able to get the care in state for her son. We have this timeline that we are now fighting against. To me, it just really signals that my family isn't welcome here. So now she's forced to look outside of the state and she is trying to get care in Minnesota just because it's a neighboring state. I did actually finally receive a call back today from a provider. And even better news, this provider is in Hutchinson, Minnesota. For weeks, she was trying to figure out coverage and exploring options for her kid as far away as four hours. But Ultimately, she did get lucky and got a call back from a provider an hour away. And we have an appointment lined up for July, right after ban goes into effect. So hopefully Asher's care is not going to be delayed. Even still, you know, she said she can't even think about what will happen if that doesn't pan out. Yeah, I mean, for trans people right now, it feels like there is this widespread attempt to erase us, to eradicate us. The thing is, gender-affirming care doesn't make you trans, right? You just are. But removing our ability to get this care does harm us, right? It harms us because of the bigotry. It harms us because we don't get to be our full selves. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to come to terms with right now. My daughter has the best big brother in the world because of gender-affirming care. And I have, like, the coolest son who still tolerates me right now. (laughs) Okay, so basically the top-line thing that people need to take away from all of this is that so far, 15 states have banned gender-affirming care for kids. So that's 15 states where when these laws go into effect, you won't be able to get hormones or puberty blockers. Not to mention that each of those states have introduced other anti-trans bills, too. Why is this happening right now? You know, these healthcare bans are part of the broader escalation targeting trans existence right now. And this has all been in the works for about a decade. We're going to turn now to the firestorm over North Carolina's so-called bathroom law. The first bathroom bill was introduced seven years ago in North Carolina. And at the time, that was so controversial, and there was a huge reaction. North Carolina is roiled by backlash, boycott threats, and bigotry allegations. The NBA is pulling next year's All-Star Game out of Charlotte. Bruce Springsteen canceled a concert there this weekend. Lionsgate and PayPal just pulled out of plans to expand there. About 2,900 jobs moved out of North Carolina due to the bill. The NCAA began to pull championship games. 
corporations also pulled out of the state. So the law was ultimately defeated. Trump administration has now finalized a rule that will erase protections for transgender patients. And then, of course, during the Trump presidency, anti-trans groups really started to organize together. Against discrimination by doctors, hospitals, and health insurance companies. And now we're here in 2023, where we have almost 500 anti-trans bills in various stages of the legislative process. And ultimately, I think what's come up in a lot of my interviews is that trans people have become a scapegoat. They're, quote unquote, like the boogeyman that allows GOP lawmakers to mobilize their base. You know, a lot of people don't know much about trans identity. And so you can exploit that unknown. I got a closer look at how we got here a couple weeks ago. A number of journalists were sent thousands of leaked emails between a bunch of anti-trans organizers. And there is a lot of explicit hate in these emails. And a lot of deeply religious language. One expert told me it's the language of Christian nationalists who believe they're engaging in a holy war. What a bunch of bologna sandwiches. The devil never sleeps. I pray for the second coming and more. Okay, so mentions of the devil, praying for the second coming. All right, I hear it. This is the language of Christian nationalism. Yeah. And the emails, they show that that religious sentiment is driving a nationwide strategy to create and push these bills. All right, we're going to talk about it. That's after the break. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So, Enya, there are almost 500 anti-LGBTQ bills circulating in various states right now. And a lot of them focus on restricting access to gender-affirming health care, especially for kids. And as you've mentioned, these bills didn't just appear out of thin air. Exactly. So a couple of weeks ago, I was sent a bunch of leaked emails, and they exposed a working group full of legislators, anti-trans lobbyists, and organizers that have been working together since 2019 to write a lot of these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing. Okay, so tell me, who are the main players here? Who's driving these efforts? 
It's a mixture. You know, there are state lawmakers, think tanks, conservative and deeply evangelical nonprofit activist organizations like the ADF, Eagle Forum, and the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Obviously, you know, for those who don't know, the ADF is the Alliance Defending Freedom. Right. These are all very familiar to me. We've also covered some of these groups on our show. So as you were reading these emails, what stood out to you? Right away, the evangelical tone was maybe the first thing that really struck me. I mean, in the emails, there are repeated notes about blessings and prayers. Under his wings. To God be glory. Praise God. The Lord is blessing our efforts. And there were sign-offs that honestly sounded like The Handmaid's Tale. I pray for the second coming more and more. Many tears and prayers of gratitude. Praise God. Five smooth stones and an abiding faith in his justice. And for those who don't know, five smooth stones is actually a reference to David and Goliath, which means, you know, an underdog defeating a much stronger opponent. It is so encouraging to see the genuine work of the Lord in your heart and your courage to admit failure. More importantly, that Jesus Christ is the sole help of your heart and soul. And it's really not at all surprising. Today's Christian nationalists really believe that America is inherently holy Christian land and that it's their duty to restore God's kingdom. That's why things like drag queen story hours, critical race theory, abortion, gender-affirming care are actually perceived by these groups as satanic. The devil never sleeps. We reached out for comment from multiple people addressed in the emails and never heard back. Right, so besides evoking the devil when talking about gender-affirming care for kids. What else did you find in these emails? So the main character of these emails is actually South Dakota Republican State Representative Fred Deutsch. Hello, I'm Fred Deutsch. I love South Dakota. He's a career chiropractor and conservative and was first elected into the state house in 2014. And that's exactly why I'm running, to keep taxes low and to safeguard traditional values and protect the South Dakota dream. In 2019, Deutsch sent an email to 18 anti-trans activists, doctors, and lawyers about a bill that he planned to introduce that would make it a felony for doctors to give transgender children under 16 gender-affirming medical care. It was called the Vulnerable Child Protection Act. Deutsch actually sent an email in which he's warning other anti-trans lobbyists and politicians to keep all of this under wraps. I am comfortable with the status of the white paper and bill, and I have no doubt this will be an uphill battle when we get to session. As always, please do not share this with the media. The longer we can fly under the radar, the better. Right, and it's interesting that he's saying, you know, under the radar, because at the time in 2019, the kind of efforts that they're talking about and the language that they're using wasn't nearly as widespread as it is today. And it's interesting because you can even see the debates that were playing out between anti-trans lobbyists and politicians as they're trying to, you know, create frameworks for these bills and really fine-tune the language. And so once Fred's bill was introduced, in the emails you can see people confirming that his language would be used as a template moving forward. Fred has far and away done the heavy lifting on this fantastic project. I'm completely okay following the lead and rules he establishes. Alliances can be fragile, and it's best that as this bill goes, we stick to the small scope program in order to establish the greater goal. 
Like they really do fine tune the language. There's a whole exchange about how to define sex as opposed to gender and how to actually reject the notion of gender entirely because that means that they're, you know, giving their opponents a win. And in another example, one person wrote to the group about avoiding words like transgender, cisgender, and non-binary. Using them surrenders the language. If the other side's language frames the debate, we lose. And once they agreed upon some language and decided to disseminate the language template, they even discussed strategy on how to get these bills passed in their states. Another email wrote, Please share these with your legislators and feel free to disseminate them as widely as possible with allies. We hope they become weapons in the hands of many warriors. They also discuss witnesses they know that could speak in support of their legislation in front of lawmakers. Okay, so what happened to that bill from 2019 that Fred Deutsch was referencing? The controversial South Dakota bill is dead in committee. So in February 2020, Deutsch's bill actually failed. The bill would have made it illegal for medical professionals to perform gender-changing procedures or give them medical treatment on children under 16 years old. But I think what these email chains show is even that loss didn't really matter in the long run because, you know, this year, South Dakota obviously did pass a gender-affirming care ban that echoes that first ban. And in Alabama, that ban we talked about earlier, it has essentially the same name as the South Dakota bill, the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act. You can see how Deutsch's initial bill was foreshadowing a lot of the legislation we see today. In the emails, when Deutsch announced his bill's failure in 2019, someone wrote back, Please do not say that the South Dakota effort failed. Deutsch successfully inspired, encouraged, and counseled numerous efforts. This is just the beginning. Man, this whole batch of emails is just such a treasure trove of information. You said earlier that they don't want to use the word cisgender or transgender, which is a clear indication that to them, using those words would legitimize these identities, right? And that's what trans people mean when they say that they're being erased. It's a refusal to even recognize us. And then on top of that, what these emails also illustrate is that what's driving these efforts clearly isn't some new concern for people regretting their transitions or, you know, any real evidence of harm, right? This is about religious fundamentalism and, quote unquote, protecting kids from the devil. Yeah, I think in this case, trans, including non-binary people, really are a scapegoat right now. And it's getting so bad that experts are asking if these are the makings of a genocide against trans people. We already see studies coming out that show the emotional and psychological toll that these bills are having on trans people, especially black and brown trans youth. Today, I am directing my state agencies to take action to protect and support the rights of Minnesota's LGBTQIA plus community. But while this is a very scary time, there are so many people who love and affirm trans people. A new poll just showed that a majority of people in America disagree with these bans. And my inbox is full of people wanting to support LGBTQ people. And there are states taking action to push back against these bills, showing us that we do have tools at our disposal. We want every Minnesotan 
to grow up feeling safe, valued, protected, celebrated, and free to exist as their authentic versions of themselves. Minnesota is trying to become a refuge state after the governor already signed an executive order protecting the rights of LGBTQ people. Minnesota is also where Elizabeth is trying to get health care access for her son, Asher. Minnesota is going to continue to be a refuge for people who seek to provide and to receive gender-affirming health care services. And last year, California became the first state to become a sanctuary state for transgender youth seeking gender-affirming care. Then in New Mexico, a bill easily passed to the Senate to prohibit cities, counties, and school districts from interfering with access to gender-affirming care. And locally, LGBTQ folks and allies have really been working to protect families, trans youth. We're seeing fundraisers that would allow kids to shuttle from state to state. So that would mean, you know, potentially shuttling a kid from South Dakota to Minnesota so that they can access gender affirming care. It really is very beautiful to see folks try to rally around these trans kids and find solutions. A shuttle is not ideal, but it's nice to see those kinds of efforts. But maybe more importantly, I feel like we should talk about this. Most of these nearly 500 anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans bills that have been introduced, they aren't going to pass, right? It can be really overwhelming when we see these nearly 500 bills being introduced, but only about 10% will, according to estimates right now. On top of that, there are also legal challenges from organizations like the ACLU that would block the laws or at least their enforcement while they're under an injunction. There are also legislative challenges, although those will take longer. But Democrats are finally starting to push back. We are blowing up this session. The session's over. The session's over and it's on your terms because the terms were made clear to you. In both Nebraska and Missouri, lawmakers have filibustered bills to try to stop the state from passing these types of bans. Hating trans kids in Nebraska is more important to you than the rest of this entire session. And that message is received loud and clear. Nebraska is weeks into their filibuster and hasn't passed a single bill this legislative session because of it. The Democrats' efforts to block the ban haven't been totally successful. The bill just advanced from the first round of debate. Spring break came early in the Missouri Senate. The Senate adjourned a day early following two And then also in Missouri, too. Democrats stalled discussion in the Senate for two days to protest an anti-trans health care bill. And while it didn't stop the legislation, most recently we saw some of the most impassioned opposition from Democrats in Kentucky. Because the only legitimate poll we have says Kentuckians overwhelmingly oppose the legislature coming into their homes and into their families and into their doctor's offices saying what they can and cannot do with their children. They're their kids, not yours. You won't listen. You go after everybody's kids but your own. By the time we go to air, I'm sure more states will have introduced or passed even more anti-trans bills. But to me, that's kind of the point. It's meant to be so overwhelming that it's hard for all of us to keep track of everything. Enya, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about all of this. You're having to publish sometimes multiple times a week. There are new developments all the time. Things are moving fast. And so it is so valuable to have somebody like you who can come on the show and just distill everything for us. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. We'll keep reporting it out. This story was produced by Steph Brown and edited by Adiza Egan. 
Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Casis, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cutrell, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer, Ms. Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Fran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Our VP of audio is Charles Roggio. I'm Ariel Zermoros. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so great if you took the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because it really helps people decide if they want to click play when they actually find us. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. 